I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. I would say everything's school HQ, but the basketball team is destroying my soul as of late. I think lost five of seven now. Uh, guys on the injured reserve, Julian Phillips is out, Triple J is out, and tonight Pat Adams put together a masterpiece performance of a two hours and 45 minute college basketball game, which is exactly what every uh, every fan wants uh, in their college basketball. It's a game that goes nearly as long as a college football game, which we'll get into in the length of said college football games, but um, not a lot of fun here as we're taping this on a Tuesday night for Tennessee basketball at the moment, but uh, Tennessee baseball, back-to-back shutouts. They mercy-ruled Alabama and m this afternoon back home. I don't think Tennessee will lose in the baseball front for a month. It was fun to see uh, Arkansas fans and SEC fans get really mad at Kendall Rogers and D1 baseball for dropping Tennessee from number two to number three, even though they went one and two over the weekend, where it's like, how do you justify keeping them in the top three, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, everyone else played Patsy's, and Tennessee went out there to Arizona and played an Arizona team. It's going to be in the NCAA lost tournament. Grand they, Canyon. They, Grand Canyon has maybe the number one pick in the draft this upcoming year. Jack Wilson's son. Yeah, Jack Wilson, shortstop of the Pirates, legendary shortstop, great legendary player. Legendary shortstop. Jared Wilson, yeah. They're a good team. It was a hostile environment. Grand Canyon's probably an NCAA tournament team. And then they obviously take care of business on Sunday, but our best player has been uh, unfairly – uh, pushed away from the team. He's not ac- He's not eligible for whatever reason. We're still trying to parse through that. Um, the big transfer from Kansas. First round pick. So we're trying to get him eligible so he can play. But look, the arms are there. Best rotation in college baseball. Everything's school HQ is intact. We just got to get healthy. Get everybody on the same page. Get healthy. And we'll be ready to go. But um, yeah, I'm still kind of fired up. Like I'm kind of in like a that weird headspace like based on that game. I, all Tennessee fans are just like... I'm tense, Matt Green. I'm tense after that that loss to Texas A&M tonight. It's just, it's not fun. Tennessee's offense, when it's rough, man, it's rough, rough. I mean, it's not like you guys where you're like losing by 50 to Alabama on on the weekend, but it's uh, it's not fun even losing close games to good teams. Absolutely, the only thing that uh, is can make you feel better as a Georgia fan after seeing a 50 point loss to <laughs> or 49 point loss to correction mm-hmm. uh, to Alabama, and they're currently getting absolutely <laughs> boat raced by Arkansas uh, here in early in the second half. But um, it the only thing that can be that can make you feel better is seeing those Volunteers also dropping dropping in baseball and basketball. I, I can't say I didn't have a little grin when I saw the. Uh, the 0-2 baseball start. 
Well, I, I'm glad you're a, a big time supporter, Matt Green. Um, <laughs> hey, this is what you want. You guys wanted to be the villain of college baseball. This it's is, funny this too because they're going to be like 27 and two in a month and a half, and people are just going to forget all about this. But that is neither here nor there, Matt Green. The talents, I mean, the freshman sensations all across the board here. I believe on what they had like 34 wins last year before their second loss, mm-hmm. uh, and this year lose the first two. Pretty, uh, pretty crazy stat there. Um, but yeah, college basketball, it's, uh, it's heating up, not so much for the Georgia, for the Georgia Bulldogs, but for, for other teams out there, big win for the A&M Aggies. Yeah. Big win for the A&M Aggies. (laughs) Um, a big win for Pat Adams, another star performance, uh, uh, for Pat Adams on the referee front. Um, don't forget folks, you can watch this on YouTube, full episodes, clips, shorts, all that stuff over on youtube.com slash chase them podcast, like, and subscribe. Uh, if you prefer to watch this program uh, each and every day, check us out there. Um, you can follow us on TikTok, tiktok.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find me on there as we're blowing that out. Instagram, Chase Thomas Podcast, same kind of deal. Follow Matt at Matt W underscore W or Matt underscore W underscore Green. Uh, follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas, the Twitter page for the show, Pod Chase Thomas. As always, you can email us with any college football questions you might want us to answer on the program at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, make sure that uh, you check us out on your preferred podcast player, whether it's Apple, Spotify, however you're listening, we greatly appreciate it. And also, if you can take a second and leave this show a five-star rating and review uh, to learn folks why you like the college football show here on this very program, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Matt Green. Whew. All right. The Georgia football depth chart. It's starting to look a little bit more clear. The transfer portal window is closed. The offensive coordinator change is done. Mike Bobo is in. To everyone's pleasure. To everyone's pleasure. To everyone's pleasure. Everyone agrees with it. No one has an opinion on it. (laughs) Um, When we look at this article, Jordan Hill of Dogs247, great writer, and uh, a great site. Love reading uh, a lot of those guys over there. Kip, Jordan, um, I mean, Dogs HQ with Wes and Jake. And like, just a lot of good dogs writers. Um, that's the nicest thing I'll say about uh, the University of Georgia on this very program. Absolutely. Matt Green. Rusty Mansell, best yeah. in the business. There you go. Um, but they did a position by position look at the 2023 dogs after the portal, after uh, the freshmen uh, all signed. When you look at this, Matt Green, and you look at the depth chart, what what stands out to you? Is there a position group that you feel best about? Is there a certain player or two that stand out to you? Is there something like, man, that seeing it on paper actually a little bit concerns me more than I had anticipated, or I'm more excited about it than I had anticipated just looking at it. Honestly, I think if you just go position by position group, it's like, you can't, you can't not like, you can't really be worried about anything other than quarterback. It's like, I don't, I don't think Georgia has a Kenny McIntosh on the roster in 2023. Like, I think Kenny McIntosh is like a truly like dynamic kind of special. I think he can be a good NFL running back. Kendall Milton's is solid. I think he's, I don't think he's as good as Zamir White and I'm not sure Zamir White's ever going to be like a a featured NFL running back. You know, he's just a solid college player. So I I don't know that like, like Dejon Edwards just seems very solid. Branson Robinson of that group, it seems like the only one that potentially has like a star potential, but I mean, having a, a backfield of all of those guys, you can't be worried about Georgia's running game. It's a bunch of really solid backs and you have like three and Andrew Paul was like, 
creating a buzz in the offseason last year when he came in at the same time as Branson Robinson. And he, I believe he's tore his ACL. And so he missed all of last year. And I, I, all, all I'm going to say, he's, he's, he's number three. So he may have been like a three-star recruit or like a low four-star, but you're giving a guy a single digit, that, that's got to mean something, okay? Numbers aren't everything, but um, I am a believer that, you know, to get number three as a true freshman, he could be something special. It's a very unscientific uh, opinion there. But um, so Georgia, I, that running back, it's not like special, but I feel like you got, it's not a position you're going to worry about. Offensive line, Devin Willick obviously was a guy who played a lot. Rest in peace. You know, he's he's a guy who who played like basically starter minutes. But Ratledge and Xavier Trust were the starters at guard. You got both of them back. Uh, Cedric Van Pran back for his senior year, or Van Pran Granger, I should say. And then like Amarius Mims, like with Warren McClendon missing a few games at the end of the season, Amarius Mims basically played starter minutes for the final like three four games of the season. So. He's almost, we all know what he was a five-star prospect. Like he's, you know exactly what you're getting. So he's almost a returning starter from that, from that perspective. So it's like Georgia's like basically returning four starters on the offensive line, like from what was probably the best offensive line in college football a year ago, even though they didn't win the, uh, I'm blanking on the award, Joe Joe Moore award. Mm. Um, And then you just look at the defense, like, the the both middle linebackers are back. Like I think Smile Mondin and and uh, I feel like Dumas Johnson gets a lot of the the hype. Uh, he was kind of like the leader of the defense. But Smile Mondin, it feels like maybe a Nicobe Dean Quay Walker situation mm-hmm. where uh, he's kind of the leader, the better college player. But Smile Mondin is like the more freak athlete that that's gonna get drafted higher. Like those and both of those guys are back as 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 juniors uh this upcoming year so i think the biggest question is pass rush so georgia didn't have much of a pass rush last year but uh you have three five-star edge guys uh marvin jones jr as a as a true sophomore and then uh the two they're bringing in who's impimba and uh who's the other one um i'm blanking on the other five-star edge rusher from florida venice florida you know what i'm talking about no, he but picked Pimba's Georgia from Florida too, day. isn't he? He's yeah. I mean, Pimba's an IMG guy. I, mm-hmm. I can I need to pull up to Georgia's uh, recruiting class, but yeah, brought in the other five, and he I think he was the higher rated one, the one I'm blanking on his name. He was top ten. Gabriel top Harris, and Gabriel Harris is another one, but he was the Damon lower Wilson. Ranked. Damon Wilson, there you go. Yeah. He was the he was the five star. So they brought in two five star edge rushers and Gabe Harris, like. Um, and you're, you're already hearing some buzz. There was like 18 early enrollees on this, on this, uh, on this team. Like you're, you already, I've already heard some buzz about this linebacker class they got coming in. That's true freshmen. So like the linebackers are absolutely loaded and Michael Williams is on the defensive line. Like everyone is back on the defensive line other than Jalen Carter, who's obviously the best player on the defensive line could go number one in the draft. Uh, did you hear that story from, is it Jordan Yates? Is that the, the, the Georgia Tech quarterback a year mm-hmm. ago? Have you heard this story? Of I think most... I sent you the video of him. Are you talking about the video of him preparing for Georgia and actually Oh, blank? you sent me the video. Yeah. yeah. So Jalen mm-hmm. Carter, he's obviously going to be missed. Just an absolute <laughs> one of a kind uh, on the defensive line. But uh, yeah, and, and you're losing Chris Smith and Keely Ringo in the secondary. I think that's probably... That's probably the biggest question mark, I would say. But I think Malachi Starks, like I've said, he's a future star. And Javon Bullard, I mean, in the college football playoff, he was probably Georgia's 
maybe best defensive player period in the in the playoffs. So I, it's it's hard to be worried about anything. Like I don't even think I mentioned Georgia's receivers and Brock Bowers obviously being the best maybe the best player in college football. Like the receivers, AD Mitchell is a is a big loss. Like I hate. I just hate losing A.D. Mitchell. I think he's the best mm-hmm. receiver on this team. But, if, I mean, you just look at the guys Georgia has coming back with McConkey, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Arian Smith, and then bringing in Dominic Lovett and Ra-Ra Thomas. It's like you can't really be worried about Georgia's receivers by any means. Like, Ra-Ra Thomas, I know he got in whatever, you know, off-the-field stuff. But as far as I've heard, he's still with the team. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what's happening in that situation. But assuming he is – on the team, like those could potentially be Georgia's two best receivers. But I mean, Lad McConkey, don't sell Lad McConkey short now. He uh, <laughs> just go look at those numbers. Lad McConkey's a player. He's a dynamic athlete. So I, th- I think if you just look across the board, quarterback is really the only position that's like. I mean, you don't know exactly what you're getting, but Carson Beck, I think, who would you say? I'm, I'm thinking Carson Beck has, it doesn't feel like that much of a quarter three-way competition to me. It feels like Carson Beck is is the lead guy, in my opinion. I think it's Carson Beck, but it's also, I think you kind of have to. It's like, y'all are kind of in the same spot that um, Tennessee's in with Joe Milton, where it's a guy who waited, that you kind of have to follow through on that loyalty. You know, you have to at least give him the opportunity to lose the job and be like hey he has to start he has to go in and like we have to give him every opportunity to lead this team because hey he was an important depth piece if things went awry with stetson or hendon hooker like he could have transferred in this era and he did not so carson peck staying for as long as he did um this will be what four years of him being in the program without a start uh until yeah i think i saw some stat that in the last like three or four recruiting classes there's been like i don't know something like 45 54 star quarterbacks and that or that have been like at like he's the only one that's been a four-star quarterback that has been at a place for three years without starting that didn't transfer yeah like in in all of college football in the last like three or four years so i think there's a reason i really this is where i would i think we're Georgia could miss Todd Monken the most is mm-hmm. like, you just know how good Todd Monken is and what he's done to Georgia's uh, offense. And, you know, the player that Stetson Bennett was when he arrived versus what he was when he left. I would love for Todd Monken to be making this decision on these three quarterbacks. And it's not to say it's not going to be a legitimate three-way competition. I think it is. I just think Carson Beck, I just feel confident that Carson Beck really is going to be ready. I mean, you just, you just saw him in limited action, but I mean, Georgia's backup probably got more snaps than any other team's backup last season. But any, he, he's not a, he's not a statue. He's a pocket passer for sure, but he's, he, he's got some athleticism. So I don't know. I, I'm confident that Carson Beck is going to be that guy, but obviously Stockton and, uh, and Vandegrift are, are, are going to have shots to win it. There's definitely not an incumbent by any means. No. And I think, it's probably it is weird though, like because it seems like Beck was Monken's guy, like that was just the, I mean the big like just, he seems like more of the air raid type, right? Like who Monken would prefer the big big arm, tall, just I can throw it anywhere down the field. We're gonna attack more. Like he was gonna be much more of a interesting air raid toy for Monken to really put out his vision over the I mean, next that couple could years. be, but I mean, I think any good offensive coordinator is going to take what their quarterback can do and, and design the best thing for him. You know, it's like Dan Mullen, you saw what, what Dan Mullen wanted in his, in all of his offenses at Mississippi state 
with a, a runner like Fitzgerald or Dak Prescott or something. But maybe the best offense he ever had is with a pocket passer like Kyle Trask, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I feel like a great OC can can get whatever he needs to. And Beck's got a bunch of talent. It's not to say that, like, Bobo can't make this decision or anything. Like, if Bobo doesn't have experience of choosing quarterbacks or evaluating quarterbacks or anything like that. But uh, he did start Joe Tereshinsky over Matthew Stafford to start a season. So, you know, who, who knows? Who knows? And Joe Coxie would got to start there um, after the comeback win over Colorado. I don't know if you remember. That was a I don't. big time. Uh, Stafford was in. The offense wasn't doing anything. Down like 13-0, I think, in the fourth quarter, 2006. Joe Cox comes in, throws two touchdowns. I want to say they were both DeMar Trez Milner. Mm. Um, the last one was like, I don't know, less than a minute left or something. And um, it was a big time. I think it won like 14-13 or something. But um, then Joe Cox got the next start. <clears throat> I want to say that was Ole Miss. Um, and then Stafford just – Stafford beat him out and Stafford was the guy. No, actually, no. Tereshinsky was hurt. That's why – that's why uh, Stafford – and Stafford and Cox didn't play that well. So that Tennessee game, I don't know if you remember prime time, 2006. I was working at the Derby at the time. That's why mm-hmm. I remember that, uh, watching this game. Um, Georgia took a punt and a kick to the house in that game. But Tennessee hung 50 on Georgia. Hmm. I want to say it was like 51, like 35 or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and then that's the game where Tereshinsky ultimately was benched, and then it was Stafford from then on out. But I don't know why I got on that huge tangent on Georgia's 2006 quarterback competition, but that's Mike Bobo. He was he was a part of that. So let's bring it all back. Mike Bobo, uh, he's obviously had some quarterback decisions to make. Also, it's like I, me and my brother were talking about this the other day. Like, if you really think about it, like Aaron Murray's the all-time leader in passing in, in SEC history. Like, that's a guy under Mike Bobo. While while that is a, a five-star quote-unquote prospect, like Aaron Murray's a guy who never even almost played in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like he was maybe a third-round pick, fourth-round pick. Like I want to say McCarron, he was around the same spot as McCarron. I want to say McCarron went like one pick in front of him. It was like third was or fifth fourth. Or, I think he was fifth. You, you could be right. But it's like I don't even know if he made the roster as a rookie, and he was like out of the league. So, I mean, he was a chief for a while. Um, but I don't even know if he. Yeah, he was dropped in the fifth round by the Chiefs. Yeah, I was right. He's fifth round. But how many years is he actually in the NFL? Do you know? Do you have? It looks two years. Yeah, like he was like never even like a, a second stringer. Like he fourteen was, to seventeen. Yeah, about two, two to three years somewhere around there. So if you it, it, like on paper, it's like that's a five star quarterback, like one of the greatest quarterbacks in SEC history or whatever. So that's the only reason Bobo's offenses were good at that time. You know, if, if you're a naysayer, but it's like that's also a, that's a guy who's not an NFL quarterback that you had the most productive offenses in school history to that point, And he like set SEC records. So it's like if you actually got a five star prospect, a, 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 even a guy like Carson Beck is. I mean, Carson Beck's not as high as ranked recruit as Aaron Murray, but if you get a guy who's an actual NFL quarterback, like Bobo's offenses could be even better. So I, I don't think uh, you just think about how much better of a team Georgia was or Georgia's recruiting now than they were back when Bobo's first time around with Mark Richt. Like it's a whole new program at this point. So it's like, I, I think he's a competent OC. Nothing we have to need to get rehashed the whole Bobo 
conversation. But I think uh, I think Georgia's offense is is pretty much in good hands. It's like you all. I would just say all three of these guys can't be bad, right? So whoever wins this competition is probably a good player, and and they're going to have a loaded roster around them. Yeah, I think the other thing too is. Um... There's a couple things there. One, it's like, I think a lot of people do forget that Aaron was a five-star guy coming out of high school. Like he was a, he was a great high school player in Florida. Um, Cause he has such like an overachiever vibe. Yeah. But he's it wasn't like, the case. It's like, no, he's a five-star. He's yeah. a super talented guy who should have stuck big time. He was, um, he was a dual threat coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he did do a little bit of running. He, he ran was, on Tennessee his senior year. That's for sure. That was his. That was the best run of his career. Put his team on his back. All those injuries. Put his team on his back. That that was a that was a legacy game for Murray for sure. He was a great player, and he's also one of those guys who you kind of like. What you talk about with talent, like if he had Kirby's talent, like if he was, uh, I'm. I wonder if like you get four years of Murray just starting with the kind of guys Kirby's been recruiting. I mean. What is how is he viewed as a Georgia quarterback all time? Like um, we can always talk about Stafford, but Stafford I feel like was going to be good no matter. He was just there's a reason he went number one in the draft. Stafford was going to be good with whatever kind of talent was around him. Like he just had the arm, the size, this, that, and the other. So I don't ever really like when folks harp on how a guy unfolds in the pros. Like Hendon Hooker, he may never start. He may be out of the league. He's turning 25 soon. He's older, but it just he was an all time great college quarterback. And I don't know. We don't need to discount folks based on how things go in the pros and Jake Fromm too, for that matter, who I don't imagine will be in the league that much longer if he is. Cause I mean, I know he's flirting with roster spots at the moment, but like still super successful. He did get a start this year. He did. For uh, who? Who is he? The Giants. Giants. Is that I believe it was the Giants. Yeah. yeah. Didn't uh, go well. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but that, that's another thing. But I, I think the best point on Bobo in this Georgia transition here is, Graham Coffey made this point on actually 680 the other day. I uh, listened to his spot and from the program, Graham Coffey, go check out Jog, Dog Central if you have not already. And he said basically like, um, when talking about Bobo, it, he's going to be like the offense is going to look mostly the same or like the calls it look, should be the same. Like it's not broken. It's like the Kirby offense. So it's like, it's not broken. He's not going to revitalize. He's not going to go back to what it was 12 years ago. That's not going to happen for Georgia. But the thing that separated Monken over the last two years was that Monken pressed the right buttons all the time. Like whenever he needed to press the right button offensively, he pressed the right button. That's what made him an exceptional play caller with these guys with this talent is like, yes, Bobo will have better talent than he had 10 years ago. But the reason Georgia fans were still pretty annoyed was like him pressing the right buttons. And Todd Monken was somebody who you never had to worry about the last two years never had any doubt as a Georgia fan that he was going to press the right buttons with Stetson and whether Stetson, JT, whoever Georgia fans had absolute trust. That this guy, he just always clicked the right buttons. And I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it is like, that's the difference this is not so much what the offense looks like or how successful it is. It's like, Hey, Todd Monken was extremely efficient and extremely gifted at knowing when to call the right thing and when to call that. And Bobo just to this point has not shown that. And that's where the drop off might be. And what happens in a Ohio state college football playoff game, if he's 85% what Monken was and pushing the right buttons that might result in a loss uh, earlier. So that's, that's the biggest thing. I thought that was interesting. No. And that's definitely a valid point. And that's why people get hung up on this guy's style. Like what kind of style? Oh, he's a pro style guy. You know, it's like, 
you can have all kinds of philosophies or styles, but it comes down to, are, are you good? Are you a good play caller? And it's mm -hmm. a hard thing to measure, but it's like, you know, it when you see it type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what separates Todd Monken for sure. But I think, I think, uh, I think Bobo's good in his own right, but going back a couple points that, that you made, like in terms of like, we do kind of judge guys, NFL careers kind of overlap, like what we think of them in college, but like, Aaron Murray is without a doubt a better college football player than, than Matthew Stafford. You know, it's like, it's not like he, what he did in college was better, but obviously there's a lot that goes into it. Your supporting cast and like Bobo is like in his first, second year as an OC with, with Stafford as a, as a starter. But with, with Aaron Murray, it's like, you know, he had been seasoned a little at that point. So it, and, and Georgia, Georgia had a, maybe a better roster around him with Aaron Murray. So it, a lot goes into it, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Ultimately, I think Georgia this year, I don't know what point we were making, but I, I think uh, uh, this year, the quarterback position, I think you just, you, you got to trust that whoever wins out is, and I think it's going to be Carson Beck. I think they're in a, in a good position. And also, Brock Bowers is on the team. I don't know if I said that already. Brock Bowers is just a baller. So Todd Munkin has had Brock Bowers to call plays and Darnell Washington to call plays. It's like, it's hard to mess that up at times. Like when you just have a, uh, a guy you can just throw the ball up to and also be the best blocking, uh, your best offensive lineman basically at the same time. So Darnell Washington will, will absolutely be missed. So we, we, we did kind of skim over the tight end position, but the way George recruited at tight end, it's like there's not going to be another Darnell Washington on this team because I'm not sure when we'll ever see another Darnell Washington, but like Oscar Delp, like looks like honestly a, a a diet Brock Bowers. Like I don't even want to say that because Brock Bowers is just a baller, and so you don't want to compare every tight end that comes through uh, to him. But but he looks like a playmaker as a as far as a receiving tight end goes. Yeah, tight end is the least of Georgia's concerns. I also just think I was thinking about this earlier. I think what. We're going to hate, like, I think a lot of college football fans are going to hate the top of the, the sport this year. I think they're really going to hate it. I think the best teams in the sport are going to piss a lot of people off because I think Bama, Georgia, and LSU are going to be the three best teams in the country this year. And I think those three are going to play a style where it's like LSU has so much defensive talent and they're going to play a very conservative style and Daniels will do some stuff that makes it fun. I think it'll be in the Heisman candidacy, but like, Tommy Reese at Bama, Bobo at Georgia. The way I see it is I think both all those defenses are going to be electric and top 10 in the country. I think they're just going to pulverize folks with their just, we have better players than you week in, week out. And it's just going to be like, Georgia's going to win uglier more often than they have in the last couple of years. I think Bama is going Not to win ugly, uglier. But like in like beat downs, you're saying. I'm saying like, like the, you remember the, the, I'm thinking I, ugly is like 16 to 13. And no, I, I'm, I'm saying ugly like 28 to 7 some nights where it's like they did enough, but like I'm thinking ugly is like 50. 48 to 7. No, I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't I don't think that's going to be the case with this Georgia offense. I do think they take a step back, and I think it's the case for Bama too, is I think they're going to win a bunch of games, but it's not going to be fun watch. Like it's going to be tough television where it's like they're going to play ball control. They're not going to be as explosive. They're not going to be as 
entertaining as the Bama and Georgia's we've seen See, the last couple that's of years. That's where I disagree with you. I think I don't. I, Georgia's still gonna. I think Georgia could be better passing the ball because I think Carson Beck. I think is a more kind of traditional, maybe have that more traditional elite arm talent than than Stetson Bennett did. Like Stetson Bennett made a lot of those plays, kind of improvising and that sort of thing. Like Georgia's pretty still pretty loaded at receiver and like. Brock Bowers, I can't stress this enough, is still on the team. And, like, you're going to get explosive plays from Brock Bowers. And, like, I don't, I, I don't I'm see... I'm saying it's all relative. I'm not saying, like, the explosion's like, gone. I just think that they win more games where it's, like, it's just a boa constrictor where they just gradually grind you into submission. But it's not going to be, like, wow, look at this cool, fun, just offense that's just... It's. I don't think it's going to be the case. I don't think they're going to be scoring fast. I think they're going to be just gra- They're going see, to slowly thing, kill you. But that's the thing they've been in 2021 and 2022. It's like there's Stetson Georgia was, was electric, scoring, man. Stetson but, was a but, gunslinger. But go back to 2021. Like no one was talking about that offense, like the whole season. It, it took to the very end of the season to people like, oh yeah, you know, they did average almost 40 points a game. It was, it was like that team just kind of, because you don't have to, you don't have to do what Tennessee does and, and score in a minute and a half, you know, and just have like these super explosive plays. Like you can you can score 10 points a quarter every quarter. And by the end of it, you got 40 points, you know, and it's like Georgia just kind of that, that's what a lot of the games seem to be. It's like they just kind of wear on the opponent. It didn't necessarily get off to the quickest starts, but it's like then you look up and the scores. 28 to three and and this, this team has no shot to win and then like i mean most games it's like me and my brother when we've talked like oh what do you think the score is going to be it's like every week you're basically like it's probably going to be georgia 35 to 45 and the opponent somewhere like zero to ten it's like that's kind of what it's been the last couple of years so I, I don't think you're going to see like the last time bobo was georgia's oc was some super explosive offenses. I, I th- obviously it had some, a lot of that was in the running game, but you know, that's obviously part of the offense, but with, with, with some of the players, like with, with Bowers, with uh, McConkey, Arian Smith, like Dominic Lovett was arguably one of the best receivers in the sec last year at Missouri. Like, I mean, this is a guy who is a big play guy. So I, I don't think Georgia really takes that big of a step back offensively, honestly. And I think the defense could be even better. Like I think the defense. I mean, I, the defense honestly should be better it, with all everything they bring back. They were very young last year, so. And the the worst part, honestly, when it comes down to it, and you're really projecting their their season is like just look at the schedule. Like who's really going to challenge them on this schedule? Like that that at Norman Oklahoma is like glaring on on missing on this schedule. Um, but like other than Tennessee, there, there can't be a lot of games that really worry you. Like, I think, did they go, did they go at Ole Miss or is that at home? I know I they play Ole Miss, Miss was at home, ne- wasn't it? I know they play Ole Miss next year. So, you know, Auburn could be improved and that that'll be on the road next year. Yeah, but, I think you get um, Ole Miss at home and Auburn on the road, if I remember correctly. That may, that makes sense. So I don't, I don't know. Like Kentucky, like Kentucky doesn't scare you as a Georgia fan. Like the Florida game is always going to be fan. big. The Florida game is always going to be big for just different reasons because Georgia fans have just that that game just means something different. Graham but, Mertz is going to be under center, Matt Green. Can you calm hey, it Graham down? Graham Mertz, have you heard the hype? Graham Mertz. Well, hold is on, getting? let's save that. We're going to get into Florida on this podcast. But um, yeah, so and Tennessee is really like the one game you're in a circle like that you would say I I feel like I know. I know for a fact that team is going to be ranked when we play them. I don't Are think we there's any... all your best game back to back years. 
I mean, I would I would say so. I mean, they're who was the I mean, the Oregon game was big, but Tennessee, I mean, that's the number one team in the country coming in. Yeah. Number Better one talent te- this year. Number okay, one enough. team in the country coming in. Air quotes for those on the pod. That's right, uh, folks. Tennessee the put themselves number one in the country. It's Tennessee's fault it for is. being they, the number uh, one team in the country at that point. Winning every game on that. their schedule. How Sh- dare they? They shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have given mm. them that bulletin board material. Uh, we, we found out who the number one team in the country was, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone. Uh, but, yeah, in Knoxville next year, that's going to be uh, an absolute huge game. Second to last game of the season, which, honestly, I'm all about. If we can make – I mean – we're changing the schedule like next year. So I guess mm-hmm. there's no point to even say it. But uh, this would have been a very cool tradition to keep going in, in the current SEC format of like the SEC East like championship right here at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we'll get that in, uh, in 2023 that uh, the, the uh, I don't know what date that is, the second to last weekend of the season the, if that decides the SEC East. I mean, and just look at Georgia's schedule. I, I just don't see a way that Georgia's not 10-0 and coming into that game. Okay. There you go. Uh, Matt Green. Marcus Gorey picks the Vols, uh, the fourth commitment uh, for Tennessee um, in the 2024 class before we get into the meat and potatoes of this very program. Um, Marcus Gorey, corner, um, another in-state guy. It looks like Tennessee's going to have all in-state uh, secondary help in this cycle. Uh, they obviously were very defense heavy this last one. It was interesting. I know when you were listening to Vol Confidential uh, this week and last week with Josh Heupel's uh, hour-long interview, they split up into two parts that you were jotting down notes and just trying to listen in and see about uh, where things were headed here on Rocky Top. One of the things he talked about, I think he said a direct quote, it's like, Absolutely. we're going to have an elite defense at Tennessee. And he's clearly prioritized um defense and if you saw too matt green 247 sports had the top uh recruiting spenders um this past cycle do you know who were the who made the top three i saw those georgia bulldogs up there at number one baby and then number two was the texas longhorns and who was, was number texas three and with tennessee was at three tennessee was at there. three the number three spender and tennessee Obviously, finish with a top 10 class. They're headlined by Jonathan Eccles in this 2024 class right now. They're hoping they can keep him the IMG guy. But Georgia, another team who <laughs> does really well with tight ends, is not going to give up on that one. So I would not be certain Tennessee is able to keep Eccles, but I hope so. Caleb Beasley is going to be uh, a great corner. Uh, Marcus Corey Jr. there from Braddy Central. He's an early eval that looks like he's going to be uh, a big part of this class. But he is a three-star probably can move it to four star we'll see how a senior season goes but carson general also there but um three three defensive guys it looks like boo carter is going to come in the fold soon hopefully um chattanooga star linebacker um player so hopefully he ends up in the fold but it's going to be a lot like edwin spillman's coming down the pike but a lot of defense like it's just interesting following the recruiting and stuff it's just that like there's so much influence on the defense that tennessee is like we're not messing around with this like we saw in the georgia game and like we're our final bit it's like I think Heupel just the offense is going to be fine. <laughs> just there's just something about it where it's like they're going to score points. They're going to be fine. It's just where things will ultimately decide if Tennessee makes that final leap. It's like they have to just put in so much talent. Where Georgia has like four or five guys at every position that you're like, it's not one cycle. You have to prioritize defense every cycle. And it seems like 
Tennessee has done that uh, this past one and this upcoming one is just it's going to be very defense heavy back to back. Um, you got Nico in the fold. You got guys in there. Um, now it's just like you need so many bodies. You don't need just one. You need seven corners <laughs> that you can try. You need the Georgia thing where you have six linebackers and feel great about all six if you need them. And um, that's just where you've got to be if you want to realistically compete with Bama and Georgia and even LSU because um, they're they're coming as well year in year out. That's what you have to do. And I think it's it's good to see that Tennessee is prioritizing the defense as much as they have because I think that was a big concern from people. Uh, both here in Knoxville and nationwide was like, how much is Hypo going to really recruit on that side of the ball? And it's been a huge priority. So it's good to see. So this, uh, <clears throat> this, <clears throat> excuse me, Jonathan Eccles, mm-hmm. uh, you're saying he plays what position now? It's a tight end. This is an athlete. Yeah. So he's six, a tight four, end. Two thirty. That's a tight end. Okay. Yeah. But he's a, he's a really good player. I th- uh, he's, he, he's going to be a tight end at the college level. But okay. don't be surprised if he ends up at Georgia or Alabama. Is that right? What, we'll see. Is, his commitment isn't uh, isn't firm. I mean, he's been committed for a long time, and it's just a long. It's hard to keep guys for like two years like that. It's just hard to, um, especially like Alex Golish was the guy who originally brought him on as the tight end coach, offensive coordinator, and he's at South Florida. So we have a new tight ends coach um, who's introduced Alex Ablin, who they promoted from within, who was an offensive analyst um, to that role. So we'll see how that relationship goes but that's his that's priority one is him developing that same kind of rapport and making sure Eccles still feels like a top priority and all that so i'm not saying he's not gonna i don't have any inside information on that it's just it's hard and once you read george and bama are calling like it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be tough yeah it's gonna georgia be does well georgia does well at img academy uh mm. i think this last this past class George and Alabama both got like three of the top 10 players coming out of the state of Florida. So, um, yeah, that's, that'll happen. That'll happen. Um, the other things that'll happen. He's committed to the Vols right now, baby. He is committed to the Vols. Top commit. I hope he stays. That would be great. Um, we need more tight end help. Ethan Davis, Collins Hill kid, Jonathan Nichols, like, Hey, tight ends. Let's do it. Um, he's probably intimidated that Georgia tight end room. That's what it is. You know, it's not for everybody, you know, um uh, <laughs> the pack 12 it might not be around much longer you get the smu leak uh that they went and toured the pack 12 leadership went and toured um smu last weekend mac green you're like oh that's gonna <laughs> save your conference yeah SMU like this. mustangs rice like when Dennis Dodd- express isn't walking through that door no rice like Dennis Dodd tweeting rice is not currently an option for the Pac-12 <laughs> that being tweeted out was pretty hilarious. Like I didn't know that was a conversation that rice, no offense to rice and the, the owls. About lunch. Yeah. Like our, what, why would they be a conversation for the Pac-12? What, what are we doing here? And they're still trying to figure out the TV deal. We'll see what ultimately happens here. But when you repeat Thamel's story in ESPN that I would highly encourage folks to, to read, he said, one of the things he mentioned here that I think is important to read or to read aloud here on the program, quote, no one is expecting anything in the $40 million per school range anymore in regards to the PAC 12 and their TV deal, getting something in the 30 million range, similar to the big 12 could keep the league duct taped together. That's it for the PAC 12. Like that. We're all dancing around this. Like you're in duct tape mode where (laughs) this just feels like the PAC 12 is not going to exist for 
uh, much longer, Matt Green. When you read this and you read the the tea leaves here, how are you feeling about the Pac-12 at this point? Do you think we're headed towards the Pac-12 really dissolving sooner rather than later? My only thing is it has to exist in some way because these schools are on the West Coast and we got to have games all day, son. We got to have games at, at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10.30, like... The Pac-12 will never go, like, these schools are still going to play, right? And we still have to, in some way, geographically divide them, right? It's just, it might not be the Power Five conference it once was, but the conference, the conference has to survive in some way, right? Like, even if it's getting, SMU isn't going to save it, but if it's getting San Diego State and it's Boise State and... You know, the other teams we've talked about, even UNLV at this point, just because they're in Las Vegas, who knows? Like, just, you know, getting some Fresno State is another, like, just getting some of these schools to just kind of fill the, the roster. You know, it's like, that's kind of what the Big 12 did, but I think they just did it with a little bit better brands, like a, a BYU and a Cincinnati. Like, Cincinnati isn't even that strong of a brand. They've just been good for the last couple of years. Like, UCF has been real solid, but so like you could see a Fresno State become as good as any of those programs and not really surprise you, you know, so it, or it, we've seen Boise State be better than any of those programs in recent years or in the last 20 years. So it, it, it has to exist in some capacity. I definitely once they start talking about Amazon, it just I feel like that that was like a light bulb in my head. I was just like, that's totally going to happen. Like Pac-12 is going to be like on all Amazon. Like I can see that happening already. They get some great deal on it or something, but I, um, something is like inevitable. I think personally, I was kind of surprised unless I missed it, that the Washington Ohio state thing wasn't brought up because that kind of seemed like a red flag to me because like, Ohio State did just say they're backing out of it because of like the toughness of their conference schedule, I guess, because of adding USC and UCLA to it. It's a real soft answer from from the Ohio State University, but I I just feel like there's something Washington and Oregon are going to jump to the Big Ten. Like they're they're the last like power brands I feel like kind of left in the conference after USC and UCLA leave, it feels like they're going to join the Big Ten, and then it's just going to be this, you might as well call it the West Coast Conference, because it's going to feel that much less than the Pac-12. You almost like can't call it the Pac-12 at that point. But, I mean, like, what is Stanford? Like, Stanford is it's, um, like, it's a great academic institution, but it, are they really, like, the kind of, like, program that's like, oh, the, the good schools are leaving? We're out of here, too. It's like, I, I mean... I, th that doesn't seem like something that would happen to me. Cal, Stanford, do they care enough about sports to be joining the ACC or something like that? Like that seems something like that just seems dumb. Like I don't. Who knows what could happen? USC and UCLA shouldn't be playing in the Big Ten, so you know that that's kind of out the window. But I feel like some sort of West Coast conference, call it the Pac-10, Pac-8, however many they're they're able to get, Pac-14. Um, I think that 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 will ultimately be a conference, but I think they're going to lose somebody. And Oregon and Washington feel like the teams that they'll lose. I just don't believe that the travel stuff is going to fly for UC, USC and UCLA. They're going to do it for a year or two because the money is that big. But it's literal insanity 
that they're just going to fly all around the country all season and their fans are just going to be required to any away game is they have to get on a flight and drive all over the place if they want to uh, attend and or even watch their kids games like it sucks for the parents of these kids who want to watch their kid play they're having to fly all over the place um, to watch yeah, them. the idea of just being spontaneous like you know let's let's drive to Knoxville like mm-hmm. hell yeah it's like four hours or something like you're not just going to be like, you know what? Let's let's drive let's drive to to Happy Valley. Let's drive to Penn State right now from from Fresno, California. Like no, it's, no one's going to do that. No. So what I think happens is I think the Pac, I think the Pac-12 splits up. I think this is this is it. I don't think the Pac-12 makes. It. I think we're going to be the Big 4 for 15 years or whatever it is for the Grand Rites and then the ACC will dissolve and then we're down to 3 and then I don't We're know. Down to three. I, so we had the big. What, what's happening? Here's what I think. Big Ten, SEC, and the Big Twelve. Yeah. So I think what's happening next. My gut says I think Cal and Stanford are locked for the Big Ten because I think the Big Ten prioritizes academic advancement and things like that, and they want those kind of co- those kind of schools in there. They fit the Northwestern model. Um, I think Cal and Stanford make a lot of sense on that okay. regard, and they'll jump at it if offered. Then I think it, and it just helps. Like it gives. This is the other part of it. When you have these super conferences and like the way these schedules are going to go, the nine conference game schedule for some of these SEC schools is going to suck for some schools. They're never going to a bowl game ever again because it's just going to be brutal when you have this kind of schedule and you have that many conference games. But you need you can't have a, just only competitive good teams. Like we're about to see that in the Big 12 where they're just going to cannibalize each other. Guess what? The Big 12 is not making the playoff next year. Do you know why the Big 12 is not making the playoff? Everybody's good. Find me a bad Big 12 team next year. There isn't one. Every single one is their floor is like five and seven, six and six. There's no zero and twelve. Kansas is good now. Everyone in the Big Twelve is good. You don't want to be in that spot because then you're like, it's just some good teams are not going to go bowling and not get that extra payday because the conference is too even. If you're the Big Ten or you're some of these schools like Northwestern or but Il- the conference money is still coming. Conference money is nice, but like you don't want to go too intense. Like ki- schools still care about going bowling. Schools still care about getting those six wins because it shows like progress. We're like we're fine. We're 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 fine. We're five hundred. We're fine. But if you only have these, you take the two two really great programs in the Pac-12, but you don't bring in the Stanford and the Cal of the world to pad pad some victories a little bit when you go to nine ten conference games a season. Things get a little dicey, so I think they both find their way in. Because like, if you bring in Washington and Oregon, that's two more top ten teams in the conference. If you're a team like Illinois, like I said, Northwestern, Purdue, um, Minnesota, Rutgers, Rutgers is the most Rutgers obvious. Rutgers is like, hold on, these guys do not represent the Big <laughs> Ten. Okay, we are a traditional Big Ten school, not like those guys out there. That's that's way different. Right. Well, they're get, they're like we're never even sniffing a bowl game again. Like Rutgers is like we're going two and twelve every year. Um, and I just think what ends up happening is I think Washington, Oregon, Cal, and Stanford make the leap. And then I think you think all four go to the Big Ten. I do. And then I think Arizona, so Arizona State, Colorado, um, and Utah all end up in the Big Twelve. And then I think Washington State and Oregon State are left behind and they join like a reformed Pac-12 Mountain West Conference that combines. Mm. That's what I think ultimately happens. So you're talking three 20-team conferences or something like that? Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, we, we shall and see. And the ACC is That's... just like stuck with their grant of rights where they're just like, we're fine. We're just floating. Like they'll just be floating for 15 years. So I'm putting you on the spot then. Mm-hmm. If the SEC has got to get four more, who are they getting? I mean, they're biting the bullet in the ACC. I think they care about regional matchups and I think they care about fans being able to travel. So I think it's like Florida State's priority one, Clemson. So I think they go Florida State, Clemson, uh, Miami, and, and Georgia State. Tech. No, Tech's at the bottom of that list. <laughs> Maybe Virginia? Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I think if it, they go anywhere, it's the... I read an interesting point. I don't know if I read it or I heard it, but it, the Notre Dame thing I hadn't really considered. This is thing I had not thought about, Matt Green, but it's like, what if Notre Dame is forced into a conference because like so many schools are going to opt out of playing big time out of conference competition because they're playing nine or 10 conference games a year now that no one wants to schedule Notre Dame. You left. Yeah. No one wants to play Notre Dame because we're like, we're not giving you uh, putting you on our schedule. And we already have 10 sec games. Absolutely not. So then they might have to, I think that might cause like a, I don't know, some sort of like rift in like the universe and SEC football fans. If Notre Dame joined the SEC, I think they might like their heads might no, explode. No, they would not join the SEC. It, it would be like, the Big Ten. It's like, we can't. <laughs> what, do we, what do we say to them now? They're in the SEC. What the hell? Uh, that would that would, uh, that would really rattle some SEC uh, uh, blue bloods out there. Yeah. Um, but that's on a monitor uh, as well, Matt Green. So proposed rule changes was something else that just all this stuff, just pissing off college football fans left and right on the internet um, with rule changes, conference realignment, this, that, and the other. Because, um, you know, every time we come on here, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're right. Every time we come on here, we complain about how long college football games are, right? That's what everybody's complaining about. We all hate how long college football games are, right? I think there are too many commercials. The but they're never going to get long. rid of that. I know. There are ways. Like, college football games are too long. Like, baseball is 310. College football is like 340, I, I saw. 330. NFL is like 20 sarcasm. minutes shorter. Oh, I, I it was not, sarcasm. I do not care about the length of the college football game. Yeah, no, I'm saying I'm I do. I'm all in, sir. You say that. But you've never thought certain games are too long. You've never... I no, think Dan that's Rub- true. Dan Rubensky made a good point about this today on the Solid Verbal that I liked, where he was like, it's less about the length, it's more about the rhythm. And I I think that's a, a good point. That's a great point. And I think that's what I, the, what I was going to say is the reviews. Like, something's mm. got to be done with the reviews. Like, I personally prefer college review system way more than the NFL. Like, mm. I, the idea that, like, getting a call right should be some sort of strategic thing that a coach does is just stupid to me like no get the call correct on the field Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be amount of oh i he decided to challenge no he didn't challenge like like so i do like that college reviews more things than the than than the pros do just to get it right but they just take so long like there's gotta like you you see like uh premier league soccer like with the how much like var and stuff they use these days and it's like it just feels so much quicker like it just it's, it doesn't ever seem to last more than like 30 seconds. And then they go, they, then they figure it out and they just keep playing. Like there, they're just, there has to be something that like, did he catch it? Let's go watch it in fast motion. Like three times. Like, uh, yeah, I think he caught it. Let's keep going. Like 
if you can't really tell, like, I don't really care. Like, you've guy made a diving catch, and we all can't really tell if the ball kind of rattled a little bit when it hit his chest. It's like, if you can't tell, just keep it, just keep it moving. Like, I feel like there's so many big plays in college football where we go to like a five minute commercial break and it's like, oh yeah, it's, what is it? It's, oh, it's our ball now. It's like, you forget what happens. So there is something to do with that, like that they could do for sure to speed up the game. I'm just, I'm not sure how much I agree with any of the, with any of the, their proposals. Like, I don't like you, you want to read through them or do you, do you have them? Uh, I can pull it back up. I have Dylan. I think I got it right here. Okay. Um, the first one, uh, the, the, prohibiting the the two timeout icing the kicker like i'm fine with that like i don't really yeah no real opinion of that that's that's whatever um the other one the next one is no untimed down at the end of the first quarter or the third quarter like that that's fine i guess like i don't really have much of an opinion of that clock runs on first down oh a clock just keeps running on every first down Mm. except for inside two minutes this I'm fine with. I'm just, I'm very glad they kept the inside two minutes part because I think this makes college football superior to the NFL, in my opinion, mm. is the final two minutes, the clock stopping momentarily on every first down, move the chains. Like that just makes the last minute of every single game so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's like NFL, it's like to win with 30 seconds left, drive the length of the field, no timeouts. It's like basically impossible in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like, College games, it's like no, this game's far from over. So I'm, I'm Tennessee glad Tennessee doesn't beat Bama if that rule's changed. For sure, it's just it just makes it so much more interesting. One thing you could do if you're if you are trying to speed it up, maybe not have like sixty year old men holding the chains and like trying to run and set them up. Like we can't have like lasers or something. Some <laughs> sticks that are on a track that's just like going straight down the field, like. Do we really need got like old men out there like holding the chains or women? Maybe they have. I've never seen women holding the chains, but I'm sure they are out there. Yeah. Um, do we really need these old people like holding chains and not like could not measure a first down? It could, chips in the football, like you know, measure when we actually get a first down when a ball crosses the plane. Guys in the middle of twenty people at the goal line, and you just have to hope the guy that's like standing 30 yards away can tell he scored so when the walmart greeters see you matt green they're like <laughs> <laughs> they must hate you they're just like hey, that, I, that's love the guy. I love them i love them walmart greeters i don't like mm-hmm. them trying to trying to run on the sideline and, and keep pace with the college football game <laughs> matt green is just is uh he's trying to take more jobs away uh matt green <laughs> he's a big ai guy but then um, the last one, the only one I really disagree with, and I don't not like adamantly disagree with this one, is the clock running on incompletions. Yeah, this is the one I least not agree a, with. Not a fan of, because this is a strategic thing. Like you get mm. down in, like, and maybe they have some sort of two minute rule about this too, so that could kind of change things. But I mean, this is, this is still important at any time. Like you're protecting a lead like late in a game and you kind of have those decisions. Do you run the ball, run the clock, or do you try to get, pick up the first down through the air? An incomplete pass stops the clock type of thing. Like if that, if that is just going to start as soon as the ball snapped, like that, that's a strategic part of the game. I think you're losing at, because you are, you're trying to shave a few seconds off the game. Like it's 
like we we all know about like there's the studies that have been done that it's like this is a 60 minute game where we get like 14 minutes of action like every game so it's like don't cheat us out of that don't get don't cheat us out of the actual action we're getting it's just i don't know i i don't know how many of these are going to get done i think they threw it out there to see the public response right i think they're looking at stuff like this and i mean obviously every sport's looking to shorten games major league baseball is looking to shorten things like everyone's trying to figure out how to shorten stuff but i don't know i i just i we'll see what actually gets done but matt green you have a couple that you would actually do this kind of spawned a different kind of conversation for you you were thinking about if matt green college football commissioner college football czar if you were in charge czar. i prefer czar yeah you prefer the college football <laughs> czar matt green what are three rules that you would like to see changed all right so the first one i think a lot of people could get behind this um yellow and red card system for targeting i think um you know you get two yellows you know get this guy out of here it's dangerous play you know but the idea of a guy getting ejected my thing is you you can't you should never eject someone for playing within the mean the rules of a game like you you eject someone for hitting somebody in the nuts you know like for a cheap shot like you know just for something that's dirty like sucker punching somebody like you don't eject somebody because he hit the guy two inches higher than he was supposed to while he was running full speed for he was running 40 yards at full speed so I would love to see a, a, a yellow card, red card system as far as targeting goes. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe even want to get an aggregate uh, yellow card system. You know, maybe a guy gets four or five yellow cards. Uh, then, you know, maybe he gets some sort of suspension. Like, that's how they do it in, um, in soccer. You know, they, you can – if you just get one, you don't get ejected from the game. But if you're getting one, like, every game, it's like, okay, come on, bro. Like, let's – can't just be getting yellow cards all the time. We're going to have to suspend you. Like the, the cumulative technical thing, you know. Uh, so you does like Javon Buller get a yellow card in this scenario in the quarterfinal or in the semifinal? Absolutely not because that wasn't targeting. So he doesn't even get a yellow for you in that one? No, you're not going to start calling targeting more strict. It's what people are currently calling targeting. It would, mm. would just be a yellow card and you're not ejected. Okay. And unless it's like some absolutely just egregious, <laughs> like filthy hit, then maybe it could be a straight red. But it's like... I'm just imagining the, an official, like uh, the crowd all turning to look at this official, pull out whether it's a yellow or a red, like the entire stadium just goes silent. <laughs> It would be hilarious television of just like everyone turn to just stare at this one guy to see what he does. Oh or like God. how they do in soccer too. It's like um, like the guy will start to walk away and it's mm -hmm. like, no, 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 you, you come here, you come here. And these guys like, it's like your dog. It's like, no, you got to look at this. You got you to, no, I, Maddox chewed up. I did this today. Maddox chewed up a, a slipper in the house. I was like, no, mm -hmm. you got to come over here. You got to look at, you got to look at what you've done. And then it's like, you got to make eye contact and then they give them the yellow card. So it's like, uh, was that working? Does that work? And making them look at what they've done. I've always seen that. We've tried to do that with Khaleesi sometimes. I don't know if that actually, does that work? Showing I them mean, what they did was wrong. I mean, it has to, it, the fact that they're trying so hard not to look at it, it <laughs> mm -hmm. has to, it has to be something. It's like, you know what you did. Like you, you see it. And I know what you're trying not to look at right now. But, so Maddox um, is a demon over here. Zeus is just like retired, hanging out. Like he exactly. doesn't cause any problems. He's just. He's just like, what's wrong with this guy? He's got an energy problem. Exactly. This is like, just just feed me. That's all I really need. Take me on walks. I'll leave you alone. There you Max, go. Uh, Max, big energy guy. All right. But, what's um, rule number two? What's rule two? 
Rule number two. Rule number one. I'm number one. Joe Dirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this one goes to overtime. Um, so I'm gonna change my overtime rules, right? So I like I love college football overtime mm-hmm. rules. I'm I'm changing. I'm keeping the current format, but you start at the fifty, right? I think that would change college football tremendously. Why so not you just don't, go to the NFL rules if you're going to do that? Because you go three and out and you get what, like a 42-yard field goal. It's like, why should you get anything for going three and out and getting no yards? Like, why should mm. you have a field goal attempt? You didn't earn a field goal attempt. So if you just had teams have to drive from the 50, I feel like that, but give both teams a shot, just like they currently do in college football. Like, I feel like that would... We probably wouldn't even need to worry about what we do in the third, fourth, and fifth, six overtimes and all that. But second part, if they must keep these awful third overtime, they start in third overtime, right? Second overtime is regular. Are you talking about when they start have to start going for two? Yeah, that yeah, starts in the third, the third overtime. overtime. Yeah. Second overtime, you have to go for two, right? Mm-hmm. Now. And so the third overtime, if they're going to do it the way they do it, you got to go four downs from the 10-yard line. That would mm. be my that would be my change for that one. So, any thoughts? Any thoughts on those overtime rules? I don't. I feel like college. It's so funny because I think there's so much tribalism with this, and it's so weird to me that like college purists are like, no, college football had it right. Like they had it perfect. Like the sixty-three to fifty-seven seven overtime game, we had it right. Um, when those we games were doing are that. awesome. Yeah, We've seen see, like three of those in like 20 years. But see, that's what I'm saying. And then the NFL folks are like, all we want is just both teams to have the ball. I'm the biggest proponent of... No I want to know it. if I'm going to win my bet in three hours. Yes. <laughs> that That's what it all comes down to. But if you tell... If you ask an NFL fan to be like, do you want to do the college stuff? Most, I think, would say, no, absolutely not. And if you ask most college football fans, like, would you adopt the NFL? And like, no, that's terrible. It's just kind of funny that both, both fan bases have, like, this really strong attachment to the overtime rules and why it's better. I'm more uh, to, to kind of reveal this a little bit. I, I prefer overtime. I will admit that NFL overtime was perfect two years ago. Sudden death, like whoever wants the coin toss. If you go down and score a touchdown, first possession, it's over. That's how it should be. That's Sudden terrible. Death, no, that's so terrible. A no. coin toss just decided the game. No, you know what decided the game? The sixty minutes that came before it, where you didn't take care of business. This but is one extra team's time. offense gets a shot, and the other team's offense just never gets it. It shouldn't a shot. be fair. It's extra time. Extra shouldn't be fair. It's but we're overtime. trying to decide. We need a fair way to decide no, we don't. the extra time. Overtime should not be fair. One I'm thing I don't proponent. get is why did we go to a ten-minute overtime in the NFL? Like, mm. do we want more? ties if we're just going to play it out like a quarter like this could end like before we get to zero so like why are we like making it more likely to have a tie you know what they should do in the nfl too to avoid ties because i hate ties in football is i think if you get down to your tie at 10 uh, after the 10 minutes i think it should be like penalty kicks but for field goals where you go and you start by like a 30 yard kick and then they go to a 30 yard kick and if they miss it or they keep going and then you're up to like 65 we would have a that would be incredible kickers kickers deciding it i'm I'm sorry what football have you watched the last 100 years matt green we give them a play we give them a play sometimes if we can't get any closer a a field goal decided whether or not ohio state won the national championship this year 
Exactly. I bet Ohio State wishes it hadn't been left up to just a, a kicker, right? Oh, my goodness. But Listen no, to this guy. No hating on kickers, but that's a terrible way to decide a football game. <laughs> I, 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 that just, I'm just talking your system of like penalty, like penalty kicks are already bad enough. Like in terms penalty of... Penalty kicks like, are great. Like you have to decide it some way, but yeah. I mean, in terms of just like, how do you decide who a better Wait, team on. is? Wait, doesn't uh, like penalty kicks. I'm just saying in terms of yeah. how the drama's amazing, yes. obviously. But the in terms drama of, for back to back kicks. But it's like be- deciding a basketball game on free throws. We're just gonna go there and shoot free throws and decide like who like that's that, that would be that, incredible that television most, too. That isn't the most fair way to, to decide be who the better team is. That's all I'm saying. It's still drama and it's great, of course. But I Can think, you imagine a Final Four or national title game coming down to a free throw? Bat? Oh, we're just God. especially the the drama of the penalty kicks that it's like we're just going on the other side of the court and it's like oh now he's gonna walk out mm-hmm. three and he's gonna walk out I don't know I I don't I don't feel like it would be as good as a, the current overtime system but you know mm-hmm. that's just me but um in terms of what we were saying I totally lost my train of thought here we were talking about the overtime. You asked me about NFL and which I preferred, and they were talking about college and the fifty starting at the fifty. But yeah, anyway, yeah. it's I, I lost it. It'll, it'll come back to All me. Right. But well, let's I, go to number um, three. Going to number three, this one will hit home with you. So um, defense faking injuries can't have this, right? This is mm. this is absolutely appalling to you, right? Defense faking injuries. We gotta. We, we might should, you know, just for going down, uh, um, for going down on purpose. Um, and that punishment. So obviously we've got a soccer theme a few times. I mentioned some soccer, some soccer inspirations uh, for, for some of my rules. If you are, I don't know how we prove it, but we need to do something about this faking injury stuff, right? It's like flopping in the NBA. Like mm. if you're actually calling people for it, that's gonna like maybe you call it wrong a couple times but that's gonna get people to never do it again you know like i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna leave it up to a chance that the refs calls me for flopping right so if you if you if you get a team you fake an injury if you can prove they just fake this they totally fake this injury they play the next series down a man they got to play with 10 men on the field until they get a first down if they get a it's like a power play in hockey they're down a man they can get a first down and then, you know, maybe they take a shot because they, they got a they got a one man advantage. But that's that's my uh, that's my proposal for the last for the last rule. What do you think? I mean, Josh Heupel's still upset about the old Miss situation from two years ago now. I mean, it really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It's just so hard to legislate. Like it's so hard. My main thing super on, hard. My main thing on faking injuries and the way to nip this in the bud, and I think this would be fair all around is if you go down like that, you're gone for the drive. Like, you cannot come back in the drive. Like, I think they should be banned from that particular drive. You cannot go back in the next play. That's when it's like, this is insanity. No, if you go down, you're gone for the drive. If you are the tempo's up, that's how it should be. They should not be allowed back at least for one series. I think See, that's how we care it's it. It's just, that's difficult because, I mean, there's legitimate injuries. That, well, then like, there's got, the legitimate ones are definitely a, gone for the, the you whole. You got a stinger, like, or something, or, you know, maybe they pop your shoulder back into place and you're good. And you just miss one play and you run back in there. Like, I'm not that guy that's going to be able to run back in, but some people have done stuff like that. So I'm that guy. I don't know how you can <laughs> I don't know how you can necessarily <laughs> legislate that, but 
I mean, and it's tough to even know when a team is faking injuries, but it's like sometimes it's obvious. And the old Miss Tennessee refs, refs need to look out for that. Yeah, and especially if a guy just jumps back up. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you would actually finding it, like in the in live action and like calling it. That's the hardest part. But if you do, I think a good. I think a good uh, punishment is just to go down a man, and you're just playing with ten men. Like it's not like for the whole drive. That would be that would be a little extreme, but it's enough to get a first down. Like who knows what a football team could do ten down, down uh, up a man. Like just maybe you call a run play because you got a one man advantage or something. But who knows? Maybe you get you you stop uh, making a second and one. You don't get the first down because you're still up a man, and then you can take a shot. You know I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my proposal. There you go. Uh, Matt Green. I like it. World changes. College football. It's We're not going to shoot him though. That was, that was a overreaction on my part. I just really want, I want this rule out. I want this out of the game. Okay. Yes. That's yeah. Matt Green. That was never on the table. That's not okay, a, okay. not a thing that we're considering and that no. Good God. Late night pods of Matt Green. Um, you know, this is my Tuesday self. You know, we're not we're not usually doing the pod on Tuesdays. You know, going a little, getting a little. Uh, I'll sit the next couple of plays out. <laughs> um, Matt Green, three teams, uh, season review series. Do you want to do that, or you want to do our wrap up with our way too early predictions with two different ones? Because I think we can break this up. Uh, we could do one or the other. Do you want to get a go- lot of time to predict things? So let's uh, let's go with these three teams in review. Okay. North Carolina lost four straight down the stretch, lost their offensive coordinator to Wisconsin of all places. Really weird that Wisconsin Luke Fickle is going to be running what North Carolina was just running uh, this past year with Drake May. It's going to be a different era in Wisconsin football. They hired Chimp Lindsey. Kind of a controversial one uh, higher here. We'll see how he ultimately does. He's fine-ish, but it's just not going to be the same kind of offense that you've seen the last couple of years excel in uh, in Chapel Hill. Is there trouble in Chapel Hill for you? Is, do you think, like, my biggest thing I was thinking about this too is, is there trouble? What did you make of their 2022 season? And have the heels peaked under Mac Brown, do you think? Because I think they may have. They haven't even begun to peak, <laughs> all right? No, um, I think it's possible. It's hard to say they've peaked because it's like, what's the what's the peak that they've achieved? It doesn't even feel like they were even really good last year. It was like Drake May was just so good. They, I don't know, they kind of, they just, they kept winning games. Like, I mean, they, 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 this, a team like this had no business really being in a conference championship. Like, no disrespect, but like, that it was more of an indictment on the ACC not really having a second good team. Like I mean, they were, they were a, 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 a solid team, but they're basically just as good as Drake May could carry them. This defense is just absolutely awful. Like, I mean, they they were getting shootouts with with the uh, with the with the fun belt to begin the season, so they they barely got out of that alive. So I don't know. I mean, it it was a successful season in terms of like I don't feel like they were good and they they won nine games. It was like kind of impressive, but I don't know. I I, I feel like I'm obviously not the biggest Mac Brown fan. I, I I don't 
I don't necessarily know what he does. He's the CEO, quote unquote. Like I, I, I'm not sure what exactly he does during the course of a football game, but it feels like they've kind of underachieved because they, they feel like they've had a lot of talent in the ACC. Like they should be one of the better teams and they were in a conference championship game last year. So, you know, it, it's hard to say they've peaked, but it, it, do, it does, it feels like they've underachieved. So I don't know. I feel like they're, I've kind of like given up hope that they're actually going to take the next step. But I mean, if they're ever going to do it, it's probably with a guy who, who might be the best player in college football. How many times would you guess that they have won at least double digit games since the year 2000, Macarine? Did they win double digit in 2000? Is that uh, is that Julius Peppers and, uh, and Ronald Curry around that time? Around that time, but no, they um, went six and five. What, what what year did they go to the Peach Bowl? Do you have that? Do you have that handy? I do not have. Uh oh, that was ninety three. Oh, in ninety two thousand one. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay, yeah. that's the year. With that was the year Julius Peppers. They played Syracuse uh, in that game or Virginia or something. Well, they would have. They would have played an SEC team, right? Did they, they were Auburn? The maybe? maybe it was Auburn. Oh, I think I think you might be right about that, but um, I'll let you look that up. But yeah, yeah. North Carolina in the last twenty years, ten wins. It was I'd Auburn. Say. Ronald Curry, Auburn. Yes, look at that. You pull. know, I think that's I think that's the game where an Auburn player got this pick jumping out of bounds mm-hmm. and threw it back in bounds. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. caught it out of bounds, threw it back in, and the dude picked it off. Like one of the tighter plays I've ever seen. I want to. Th- I want to say that was that game. I, I have this vision of Auburn, North Carolina, but um, that's what my mind remembers from from 22 years ago. Um, but looking at North Carolina, oh, your, the answer to your question, I'm gonna say like five times in the last 10, in the last 20 years, they've had 10 win seasons. You're gonna say they've had at least t- I'm gonna, five I'm 10 win five. seasons since 2000? Yeah, how many? The answer is one. One? And it was is Larry Fedora. Right? It was Larry Fedora in 2015. So that's the year they that's the year they almost beat Clemson yes. in the ACC championship. Yes, it was like a pretty close game. Okay, that's the only one ever, huh? It since we've been alive, they've done it four times. Four times in 30 years. So when I like look at this program, I, it kind of surprised me. I thought it was a little bit better. But North Carolina has no history of... And Mac really? Brown did it three times. Yes. Back in the 90s. Wow, that's impressive. I just... I don't know. I would I just wonder. I'm like, I don't know if they've already reached the, the tipping point. I wonder if, like, look, Drake May's awesome. We'll see what happens this year with Chip Lindsey. But, man, I don't know. I think there's a real chance this program is just already kind of peaked and that they have a step back. Like, Florida State's back. NC State's going to be good. Um... Duke's trending in the right direction. Mike Elko's got that thing humming. Um, obviously, the demise of Clemson is is mm. highly over overstated. Yes, they're going to be in the, Miami's putting a bunch in. We'll see what they look like. They should be better. I don't know. I just look around the league and I'm like, I don't, I don't know when they're like. I think they're going to be in trouble. Virginia Tech's going to be better next year. Um, Louisville, I think, will be better with uh, Jeff Brom. I don't, so I don't think peaked don't is know. the right word. I think you're. I think what you're saying is North Carolina missed their window. That's what I would say. Yes, that they had their window to kind of the ACC was down. It might have been were, last year. They were waiting for that. Even Clemson, you could probably include 2021. Like mm. a, a Clemson, 
that wasn't a typical Clemson team. A, a, a second good team out of the ACC could have beaten that team and, and won the – well, obviously they didn't win the conference that year. But um, even that – even more so, like that that's the year Clemson isn't even good and, and Pitt – who is it? Pitt and – Oh, uh, Wake Forest. Pitt and Wake Forest? Is that right? Are you sure mm-hmm. about that? Yes. I'm blanking on that. Pitt and Wake Forest were in the ACC championship. Like that's North, that's the year North Carolina's preseason. What number six or something like that mm. was a that's a pretty big missed opportunity. They're not really committing to figuring out the defense. Like they're 102nd in scoring defense last year, and Gene Chizik I think is still the DC. Um, so I just I don't know. I, I'm not optimistic about. I'm selling some North Carolina stock uh, in 2023. I don't. I don't think they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be fighting for their bowl lives in 2023. Is my guess. Speaking Man, of fighting I'm for looking their... through this, they only have one other nine win season since mm-hmm. 2000. So probably five or maybe five or six eight win seasons maybe in there. But yeah, Samsonite. I was way <laughs> off. Um, Florida Gators. Another one who I think are going to be fighting for their bowl lives in 2023, Matt Green. Are they hold trending on, up? At- Can I say one more thing before we move on from North Carolina? Yeah. This is the most important thing. Mm. The uniforms. Mm. Shout out to North Carolina for bringing back those 90s block letters. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that to catch on and that to be a thing everybody does. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for Georgia to bring back the Kirby Smart era georgia champ bailey era georgia football uniforms but that's all i'll say because i love those north carolina throwbacks well he's bringing back all of his roommates so maybe the block letters come back as well um (laughs) well done well done north carol or for florida are they trending up or down like outside of the off the field stuff what happened with Jaden rashada on the field like this team struggled to make a bowl game they were really just all over the place this past year it wasn't all that inspiring of a year one. Obviously, Billy Napier has invested a lot recruiting. They finished with a top 10 class, but you can walk into a top 10 class <laughs> at the University of Florida. It's just there's a lot of recruits there. A lot of kids are looking for an excuse to go to Florida. Like it should always be. There should never be a season where Florida does not finish in the top 10 recruiting. All that being said, they struggled last year. They get blown out, embarrassed by Oregon State in their bowl game. They go into next year with Graham Mertz and Jack Miller as their two quarterback options in a pivotal year two where a sport that's increasingly, what have you done for me lately? Because schools are becoming more and more okay with just swallowing really, really horrible buyouts to get to the next guy. I'm looking around like, I, what is the biggest red flag here? Because I think there are a lot. Graham Mertz looks like he's going to be the best guy. Like, Are they trending up or down for you, Matt Green? Well, let's break this down because Oregon State, I feel like bowl games now, if if you're not in an important bowl game, there's even, like, it's debatable how important even the New Year's Six, how much you can take away from those games these days, you know, with the guys sitting mm-hmm. out and stuff. I feel like Clemson, Tennessee is one of those. It's like you've got enough of the starters that's like this felt like, and then obviously Tennessee won kind of shorthanded, so it's like it felt like a game that you could take something away from, you know. But like Oregon State, Florida, it's like the the quarterback is out. The quarterback that's so much a part of the offense it, that's, that's such a huge part of the offense is out. Like the whatever, how many many guys Florida's sitting out, and and the motivation to be there is whatever. Like I, I I don't 
it's hard to really hold bowl, bowl games two teams like to kind of really judge it's like it it make you feel good to win it but it's, it doesn't necessarily you know look as negative it's not as negative as it necessarily looks on the surface but you just look at what they did last season like the teams they lost to kentucky i think that's you would you'd probably say is a bad loss because of what Kentucky was last year. Worst offense in the SEC, by the way, average twenty mm. points a game. Kentucky gonna have a gonna have a top ten pick at quarterback, but had a worse offense in the SEC. Go go figure there. Um, so Kentucky, I would say, is probably a bad loss, but whatever. Kentucky was was a decent team. Mm. Tennessee, a really good team. You lost a, a they the scoreboard. You know, probably looked a little closer than the game mostly was, but they had a somewhat of a chance there at the end um so tennessee's obviously a really good team lsu won the west georgia won the national championship like those are all really good teams so it's like there's really no nothing nothing wrong with losing to any of those teams oregon state like i said not to throw out just all their losses but it's like whatever i I don't even care about that one florida state you lost a, a close game to a rival um nothing illegitimate about it but Vanderbilt is the one that's like, okay, at, at no point is this acceptable. Like, it, it's like all of the losses are like, okay, those were good teams that were better than us in 2022. You just go out and just demolish South Carolina. Was that on the road or was that at home? I think that was at home. Um, mm-hmm. You just demolish South Carolina and then just turn around and lose to Vanderbilt. Like, they were they were respectable for Vanderbilt this past season, but it's, it's still Vanderbilt. And that's... That's what I feel like just kind of tanked all the enthusiasm of year one of Bill, Billy Napier to make it kind of, I don't know, just kind of sour at, at the end. It's like Kirby Smart lost to, to Vanderbilt year one. You know, it's not like it's just unacceptable. Like, it's not like it's just you can never bounce back from anything like this. But it was, I feel like there was just a lot more that needed to be done to like, feel positive as as a Florida fan and kind of the direction of the program and and losing to Vanderbilt down the stretch. It's like, okay, you're supposed to kind of be improving as the year goes on. And so I think that was just very dis- discouraging. Yeah, they're 57th in offense. But I look at it, I'm like, where do you think they're going to be elite? Like, what is their identity? That's the thing I struggle with the most with Florida is like, I don't know what their identity is. Like, what do you think they want to be? Like, I don't know if billy napier knows what he wants this team to be like what what would you guess their identity even is like if you had to explain florida football based on what you've seen to this point in the billy napier era what would you say the identity billy napier is trying to establish yeah i mean i have no idea really because that's that's one of the things i think i would be most discouraged about as a florida fan um is is the whole anthony richardson situation because I don't know about you, but it, it felt like they were saving Anthony Richardson. Like it was hmm. like we. He, this is the best player on our offense. This guy's a physical freak. Like this guy, the the guys this guy is compared to Lamar Jackson for his career averaged seventeen point two carries a game. Cam Newton, his one year at Auburn, eighteen point six carries a game. Dak Prescott, ten point nine carries a game for four years. Anthony Richardson averaged eight and a half carries a game last year. And it was just like, this guy's not a super polished passer. Like it, it felt like there was this conscious effort to like make him a pocket passer and maybe like not wear him out and not like just run him all the time, even though that's like what's best for the team. It was like, you know, we kind of want to save him, save it so he doesn't get, you know, we don't run him into the ground type of thing. 
And so like his, his next year, okay, it's year two of Billy Napier. This is the year that he should take the step and become like the superstar player we think he could be. And then he bounces, he goes, he goes to the pros without ever actually having that season. So it's like, it's kind of like, what were you saving him for? Like we just, we got eight carries out of this guy that was our, our best. I mean, obviously Florida's running backs were, you know, they're, they were pretty solid last year. I think they were kind of underrated. I think Etienne's a really good player. ETN and Montreal Johnson, like they, mm-hmm. they had some solid players. Um, so their running game was, I think, top 10, top 20 in the country. And Anthony Richardson was obviously a big part of that, but it felt like he could have been w- a way bigger part of that with how big of, how dynamic of an athlete he is. And so the fact that they didn't really ride him like last year and they just never really got that player that we, they kind of, you know, hyped up to be. And so like maybe he becomes that in the NFL, but it's gotta be just discouraging as a Florida fan to like see the talent and the potential of an Anthony Richardson and probably still as a Florida fan think he's going to be good in the NFL, but you never actually got that production for you in a, in a Florida Gator uniform. Yeah. And I wonder too, it's kind of like, I don't blame the guy. Like he's going to go first round. Like there's some stuff I'm seeing, like the, there's some people putting some buzz out that he could go number one overall. Like no, it, no, no chance in hell. There is he's no... going first round no matter what, like that's happening. And I don't know. I just, he had to go when you get a first round grade like that. Like you just never know. Like you got to go. And if I don't understand why he is going to get picked in the top 10, but if someone is going to pick you in the top 10, you'd be foolish not to take that money. Go get your degree any other time. Go back. But to Florida did not want. have an opportunity. Like, or Florida, excuse me, Florida did not have a backup plan. Where it's like Graham Mertz, and it's like how did like how did you end up with Graham Mertz? Like Spencer Sanders was out there, and Spencer Sanders chose to compete with an incumbent starter um, who just started all last year in Jackson Dart, and he didn't end up at Florida. And you're like that made a lot more sense. Like from a fit wise, it's more of an exciting. Like you could see some Hendon Hooker vibes uh, in year two for. Florida if Spencer Sanders who has won a bunch of games and been a really good player at Oklahoma State like that just felt so natural was Spencer Sanders at Florida and then it ends up being Graham Mertz and you're like oh they're gonna be bad offensively like this offense wasn't very good last year Anthony Richardson made up for a lot of the weaknesses like you said where like the passing game was not great like the like I was there for the Tennessee game and Richardson was brilliant like Richardson was someone who Tennessee could knock it down. Like he's so good in the pocket where he's so big and so hard to bring down that like he just, the plays just kept going because, and got receivers were able to like get open because Richardson was just bouncing off dudes. So receivers could break on routes and find little soft spots in the zone and keep drives alive. He made, he had some huge fourth down conversions, very, very uh, composed guy. Um, but you see the best in the both. Like, what was that second half against Florida State where he like didn't complete a pass? Um, when yeah, we I was going to say that? that's probably one of his better games. Yeah. I mean, of his career, honestly, because Tennessee I or Florida State, t- the Tennessee yeah. game. Because I think there those moments weren't like the Utah game. Like he he had that that run that was so impressive and that and that one scramble that was impressive. But like he had he had uh, so bl- many of his, little blips. He never had like yeah. a full run. And so when so many of your best plays are runs too, mm-hmm. it's like, it's hard to draft that guy top 10. If the best plays he's going to make are when he's out running and out muscling guys, it's like, I don't know how many defenders in the NFL you're going to be out running and out muscling. He, he's a huge guy, but the NFL, there are a bunch of freaks in the NFL. There's a bunch of athletes, a bunch of dudes on the other side of the ball. So 
I don't know. I I could. I'm still shocked that he is going top ten. I I was more surprised that he that he decided to to leave. Honestly, I mean, I was. I guess I I don't know which one I was more surprised about. I guess I was surprised that he was left that he left early, and then I was like, they really are. Someone's really gonna draft him top ten. I was I was just shocked of that. So. Um, if anyone takes him CJ Stroud or or Bryce Young, I think or or Will Levis. If they take Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, I will say I'm a little more understanding of Anthony Richardson than Will Levis. I feel like we mm-hmm. got like two good samples of Will Levis. That's like this guy. This guy's not it. Like he's he's the, the worst offense in the SEC last year. Like I, I know the Kentucky had some bad parts, but. We're not talking about Will Levis. Anthony Richardson, I at least see what his tools are. But if any, if anyone takes either of them ahead of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, it's it's a huge mistake. I would agree. Uh, final team as we wrap up here tonight, Matt Green. The USC Trojans. Was this a perfect debut season for Lincoln Riley for you? Um, it's hard to say it's perfect uh, just because – you know the bowl game, like we said, it's not everything. But uh, you know, losing to to a team like Tulane in the bowl game, it's not necessarily the the best. And obviously, you didn't win the conference, and that would be more perfect. So to get blown out by Utah in the conference championship is uh is obviously not the way you wanted it to end. But I mean, we make a lot of assumptions. I feel like about what teams are going to be oh they got this recruit they're definitely doing this they got this coach they're definitely i feel like everyone was spot on on exactly what what uh uh usc was in 2022 if honestly if if you just flip their hel- their their uniforms and you just put a oklahoma uniform on this team and they went 11 and 3 and lost a shootout with tulane in the bowl game you're like mm. yeah that that seems that seems about right that a heisman winner at quarterback is this this is literally the script for an oklahoma team they just fell short of the playoff but um i mean this is about this is about all you can ask for i think year one for sure and i mean caleb williams like realistically ask for Caleb Williams win the Heisman, like was everything he was advertised to be. So yeah, obviously uh, losing to Utah twice isn't what you want, but beat Notre Dame, beat UCLA. Definitely had some big wins in a, in a, in a pac 12. That was, that was a good conference in 2022. For sure. I think it was a pretty, pretty good one. And the recruiting looks good. Jordan Addison and company, like they were Caleb Williams uh, getting hurt and not like the, I think the defense was never going to allow them to beat Utah, but that obviously changed things. Uh, Caleb Williams being hampered uh, in the Pac-12 title game. Like you were on the precipice of ending the Pac-12 college ball playoff streak in year one, like Lincoln Riley by, he gets a hard time by a lot of folks around the country. And I think SEC fans, especially like poking fun at Lincoln. I'm like, the dude's been in the playoff how many times now? Like, what What more do you – I understand you want him to win a ring, and then you're like, all right, then we know it's legit. It's like, uh, I want him to win a playoff game. I mean, Jim Harbaugh hasn't won a playoff game yet. Jim Harbaugh is an elite college football coach. What are we doing? Well, but uh, see, I think that's – I think it was all about keeping – just explaining the Lincoln-Riley skepticism or you know, naysaying, if you will. Like, it was all about keeping the same energy and it was Lincoln Riley seemed to not have the same standards as some of the other coach being annoyed that it's like, Oh, he's clearly, you know, top two, three coach in the, in the game. It's like, well, hold on. I think he's clearly top five, right? I don't know if you can clearly say that because you look at the defensive side of the ball at, at some point, like that is, if if defensive coaches like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are going to be criticized for what the offense does, like you have to criticize 
a, a, an offensive coach by what the defense does. And this is the most consistent thing. I mean, other than maybe having Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, the most consistent thing of a Lincoln Riley team is that they don't play defense. And so this is just year one and USC is going to recruit dudes and hopefully keep actually keep guys, big time players in the state of California at home. So this can be fixed for sure. But Oklahoma was getting good players. So it's not like it's not like Oklahoma didn't have good players. It's just they, they've never consistently played defense. And I think that's the biggest thing you have to worry about moving forward because this looked exactly, like I said, this looked exactly like an Oklahoma team. Now let's see if Lincoln Riley can actually take the next step and, and have a team that's good on both sides of the ball. Is that your biggest long-term concern, the defense? I think it's your only concern with Lincoln mm. Riley because you know how good he is on offense. Like you're going to have a quarterback potentially win the Heisman Trophy if – if Lincoln Riley's your head coach. I mean, literally, was he been a head coach 17 was his first year? What is that, 17, 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21, 22? Six years he's been a head coach. Baker won the Heisman. Kyler won the Heisman. Hertz finished second. And uh, now Caleb Williams won the Heisman. That's that's four guys in in, uh, in six years as a head coach. And he's Caleb 66 Williams could, and 13 as a head coach. Caleb Williams could win it twice. Like, who knows? Yeah. 66 and 13. I mean, that's all you can say. I mean, it's like there other than that, the off, I mean, the offense is flawless. It's like they, they have, I feel like Oklahoma could have those games, you know, where someone who has no business playing with them plays with them for four quarters. But it feels like a lot of that is just on the defense because the offense would show up in those games and they would lose to Kansas state 45, 42 or something like that. So you know that that's the last step that Lincoln Riley has to has to take because like right now I'm taking Brian Kelly over over a Lincoln Riley like I think Brian Kelly has proven more as a head coach in college football in terms of just going to multiple spots and winning at multiple spots like Riley's done that but well he's a good he looks like he's gonna do that at a second mm. spot like USC but so. You know, we'll see what happens. I he he's definitely one of the elite coaches in college football, but I, I think he was getting anointed quicker. Now I feel like the the way he's talked about has come back down to where he appropriately should be. So now he's no longer overrated in my mind. So I have no problems with Lincoln Riley, but still some questions. Just That's like fair. Ryan Day, he's like one of the best out there, but there's still it's not a perfect resume. So he still he still has something to prove. What do you think was his biggest win? This year, we'll end on that. What do you think was the biggest USC win for year one? For USC, um, I mean, Notre Dame was – Notre Dame, obviously, that's a big-time rivalry. Probably UCLA. I feel mm. like because UCLA, USC, I feel like it's got the, 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 the city rivalry to go with it, and both of those teams are really good this year. So I, I would say that was a big-time win. But, yeah, finishing the season with both of those back-to-back, uh, UCLA and Notre Dame – that that was big time. Well, I, it's easy to forget, but like you and I, I think we talked about it. Where I mean, going into that game, I remember how we were covering it. It was like I picked UCLA to win that game. Like UCLA was really good, and UCLA's had a great had a great season with DTR and company. And I mean, it was another. They've had some really fun uh, rivalry games in the last couple of years, and I don't know. I think he deserves credit for finishing super strong there because it just. It felt like they were kind of on the periphery, and like you said, I think the Notre Dame win was huge. And they won them in very different ways, and I think that was the thing. They started playing their best football later on in the season, and 
you know, the Utah loss, they couldn't get over the Utah hump, but like, hey man, there's no shame in losing to a top 10 team like that uh, the way they did. I I don't know. I think I would probably agree with you though. I think it would be for me the uh, the UCLA game because nothing else really jumps out to me. Well, you I lost- think Notre Dame, I think that was the week after they had blasted Clemson. So I think mm. that was like crown when Notre Dame was like at their highest too. Yeah. Um, you didn't like their future Pac-12 co-team, Rice, 66-14, week one? No? <laughs> yeah, that one um, that one didn't stand out as much. Mm. Hey, they won games multiple ways, too. That's 17-14 over Oregon State. And Oregon mm. State, I mean, what did they finish? Like 15th? Like Oregon yeah, State? Yeah, Oregon State's a sneaky well, one. Like 10, and Oregon State kept them games? to 17 points. Like, that was a sneaky one. For yeah. sure. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely as far as you can like realistically expect. Like, I mean, they're preseason like top what ten, fifteen this past year. So it's not like it was gonna be a shocker that they finished twelfth. Like, it's that's about what they did. But it's like it's probably a little it's a little foolish to rank a team that high. Like they hadn't proven anything. It was kind of an, a lot of assumptions were being made to rank them that high. So it was like they they were basically exactly what was advertised. And um, so I, I get, it wasn't foolish because it was a correct prediction. But um, um, it feels like every year we rank Texas in the top 10 and then they, they end up going eight and five because we all know about the talent and whatever. We convince ourselves that this is going to be the year that they're really good. So, but this year... This year is the year they're going to be really good, right? So we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, I think it's it's for USC in twenty twenty two. It's about as uh, as good as you can expect, and it's I mean they're definitely what are they preseason? What do you think they are? Three, four? USC? I bet you they're up there. Like they they got to be preseason top five. Bring back the Heisman winner, like year two of Lincoln Riley. They they're going to be way up there. Yeah, maybe not pre- three because Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State feel like they're like cemented at in the top three right now and and everything. So maybe like that four or five spot. Yeah, I'm interested to see where teams like Penn State, Michigan, Texas, UW, Oregon too. Like they're going to be right there with USC. Like you can make the case that they're going to be right there. Um, the Pac-12 race. I mean, Tennessee is going to, I think, somewhere in the top ten, top ten, top fifteen. Um, I mean, is that is, oh is Florida Alabama? State? By the way, I think Florida yeah. State has a case to be in the top five. Is Alabama and Ohio State going to be right there at two and three? Like I think Bama. There's for a little sure more questions the, than normal. About I have more questions about teams. Ohio State than I do Bama. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Alabama, but yeah. I feel like I don't know. They're a little more uncertainty than usual, but yeah, I mean can't really rank many teams ahead of them no matt green always a pleasure my friend uh, a lot of fun doing this on a different night tuesday night this week we'll be back normally on sunday uh so check us out there we'll have three new teams and some other news and notes who knows pac-12 might not exist by sunday uh when we record again who knows or they have like <laughs> seven new members because the sport's crazy uh, matt green they got they got something up their sleeve just wait that's a hey, we're all waiting uh thank you as always my friend and i will talk to you Next week. Yes, sir. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. 
But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.